Begin at the end. What did he mean? Why do you think he wouldn't convert the last, uh, the last believer? And what, 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 what was going on in his head and heart there? Some of it was scotch. <laughs> But the, uh, the rest of it, actually I think he was speaking his, his genuine sentiment, I think he was speaking in an unguarded way there. Um, I think you saw all the way through the film that his central enemy is the vicarious atonement of Christ. He keeps bringing it up. He can't get away from that. And I believe that he is um, not wanting to win. That's what it boils down to, and I think in an unguarded moment, he let that slip. And um, so that's what I think it is. Yeah. You, your most common argument to him was that he must use an alien standard borrowed from Christianity right. in order to make all the pronouncements that he makes so effectively, and you came at it in this thing a dozen times, and did he ever... The only answer I heard was human solidarity. What, what, what is his best shot at that argument? Because that's clearly your main agenda. Yes, he keeps saying human solidarity and innate, innate impulses that we have, and he has no argument beyond that. In the book, he doesn't, he, he doesn't have anything beyond. It's just innate. It's just happening. Well, the problem is, in an evolutionary system, other things can be innate. Innate things change over time. Are you going to be good with that? Well, he necessarily has to be, although early on he says he's not a relativist. So he wants certain things to stay put, but they can't. Not, not in his universe, they can't. Right. Now, um, let's talk. I want to get at the nature of apologetics and what they're good for. What, what are you doing? Why are you spending your time this way? Um, suppose he... So as you won that argument, mm -hmm. how would that, where would that take him? How does that get him to Christ? What's the relationship generally between apologetics, argumentation, repartee, and gospel presentation, faith, work of the Holy Spirit, new birth? Right. Talk a little bit about the function of apologetics and this way of doing it in particular. There are two, two things. One is... Um, my, my father, a gifted evangelist, taught me many years ago that the point is not to win the argument. The point is to win the man. You want to win the person you're talking to, not win the argument. Now, what, So then the question is, what the, what's the argument for that? Well, the argument is for, um, in, a, in the book of Acts, it says, Apollos was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving that Jesus was the Christ. So the edification of apologetics frequently is for the believer. All right, so how many Christians are in secular universities getting beat up by that kind of nonsense day in and day out in their classes? And they're holding on, they're hanging, they're hanging tight, their, their faith is okay but wobbly, it's got a bunch of dents in it. And then they go to a debate like this and they say, I've heard that before and he doesn't have an answer to that. You don't have to check your brains in the door to, into the door to be a Christian. And so the, Apollos was a help to those who by grace had believed. All right, so the, that's the first objective in apologetics, is to strengthen believers, is to defend the flock. It's, it's a pastoral function. It's to defend the flock against the arguments that are brought against them. The, but the second thing is, um, 
with regard to Christopher. I said, when we, we were at another event in Dallas um, after this film was made, and I told the people there that, that Christopher and I were in, if we didn't watch our step, we're in danger of becoming friends. And, and that is very true. And what is going on is after the debate was over, I sent him a Christmas gift, um, which was a book by P.G. Woodhouse. Winning Christopher was operating on a completely different level than the argumentation. The argumentation is for believers, it's a pastoral thing. For Christopher, the reason he's staying away from God is, is not those arguments. He doesn't have an argument. It, you know, he just keeps saying the same things over and over again. He just doesn't like God. You know, he, he's an anti-theist. And, and so what I want to do is get through and around those defenses with regard to Christopher, but I don't think it's going to be argumentation with him. That's not the issue. Um, broaden out your own, um, relate this to your pastoral life. You did, but um, most of us out here couldn't do what you just did. Talk to us. I heard you say one time about copiousness. Right. If you've been reading and uh, giving hypothetical, I mean, real answers to questions that come up here and there long enough, a certain copiousness develops in your life. Describe how that happened for you and, and whether you think it's a good idea to cultivate that for other pastors. Yes, I do. For, for those who are in a pastoral role, teaching role, that sort of thing. I think cultivation of copiousness is important. I don't think it's important for every last person. Say, say what it is again in case it went by those people. Uh, copiousness is uh, fluidity of expression where you learn you, quotations, situations, anecdotes, uh, particular words, turns of phrase, so that when he says something, there's something right there, you know, when either right there from the scriptures in the first place or from you know, Chesterton, Oscar Wilde, or what, you've got a ready storehouse to answer. And I think people who are in public exchange back and forth need to, need to cultivate that and uh, hone that. That's one of the tools in the, in the tool chest. But, and this is very important, I, I believe that God has given um, the body many, many varied gifts, and not everybody, Paul says, not everybody should be eye, an eyeball, not everybody should be near. Different people gravitate toward different things. And I've gra gravitated toward this sort of thing since I was a little boy. Um, just love it. And I've, t I've told people that I, I write books, for example, for the same reason that dogs bark. Um, you, know, you don't ask the dog, how do you, There's why somebody do you? outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes, you may have a reason, but <laughs> the, so the, the thing is, it's just the way it is. Other people should be cultivating other gifts. The people, when you discover what it is that God's called you to, you should throw yourself into that and ask God to use it at some point in his good, in his good time. So if it's giftedness with service or government or administration or helps or words, then cultivate that to the glory of God. Your hope for this film, what would you, what are you praying toward 
God might do. It releases today at Amazon. Is that right? It, no, it, it's releasing next month. It's releasing oh. October October twenty seventh. Okay. So okay. on it'll be available on DVD on Amazon, and there's going to be a theatrical release in New York and L.A. and then. Uh, the Amazon DVD on October 27th, and it's available now for pre-order. What I hope uh, um, in the Columbia early uh, part of this, in the Columbia section, uh, I was speaking to the atheist and agnostic group, and there was a, a sweet little, uh, uh, sweet little atheist girl that was swallowing every reductio I would throw at her. And I, I would hope that in a lot of universities there are kids that are not settled atheists the way Christopher is. They're just trying it on. You know, they, they, their religious upbringing was shallow. They didn't have real answers. I've gone over and talked to the atheist group at WSU, um, a nearby university in Pullman, uh, talked to them. And one of my hopes is that this would shake and rattle unsettled atheists. And I would hope that many Christians in secular universities who don't know how to answer their professors would be equipped in how to, how to do that, at least in their heads. Um, I wrote Doug um, about the ending and the S word, asking if it would help or hurt the film in the final editing. And uh, I saw um, a uh, blog you wrote where you sent people over to The Onion to see a hilarious spoof yeah. Yeah. and you said get by the crudities at the beginning uh, which was the same so you believe that's crude so talk to us about he, he, I don't think even though you you tend to treat your writing as barking I don't think you do much by accident so what's going on there you don't like that kind of language and you would want your kids to use it no, in we, crude ways so what's what's going on with that we um we discipline all our kids for speaking that way growing up. Our kids would discipline their kids for speaking that way. I don't speak that way in ordinary conversation, don't think that way. Um, and the, so, so then the point is, where did that come from? Did he finally get to you after three days and um, <laughs> boom? <you know? laughs> no. Um, and no, the, the answer is no. I, I thought of, I, I was thinking of how to respond to him a day or two before that happened, that was on the third day of our tour, and and this is what it, this is what it was. It, I, I am contrary to some popular perceptions. I'm not trying to become the Howard Stern of evangelicalism. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not interested in that. So I'm, that wasn't there to shock the church ladies. It wasn't there to offend Christian sensibilities. It wasn't there to give the back of my hand to, to good Christian moms and, uh, moms and dads who want their, their kids to have every word be for edification and so forth. So if that's not what it was, then what was it? Well, what it was, was if you saw that on a bumper sticker of a car ahead of you, uh, what worldview is represented by that? Well, it's nihilism. That's, that's the worldview. That's, that's nihilism. And that's Christopher's worldview in principle that he won't admit. So he wants morality and ethics and high-mindedness to be suspended from this invisible skyhook. You know, no support, no reason, no foundation, nothing. But that's his worldview. What I gave him was not my worldview, was not my way of expression. It was me speaking to him about where he needs to be given his premises and where he refuses to go. Not only does he refuse to convert the last Christian in the world, he refuses to be an atheist. 
That, that's the, what it boils down to. He needs to be an atheist. If you're going to be an atheist, be an atheist. And what I was doing there is rubbing his nose in it. What, what do you think, one more question maybe, or two. We'll be done in just a minute. Um, why the upsurge in the new atheism? Why these recent books, Harris, Dawkins, um, Hitchens, what, what's going on? This is, this is just my, this is me being an amateur sociologist. But I, I think that, um, and I'm not weighing in on everything that I think about this. I just think what's making them tick. Um, Dawkins and, and Hitchens are both Englishmen by upbringing. And Europeans and Englishmen are, were freaked out by what they saw as a resurgent um, uh, theocracy in America. You read their stuff, they're, they're just beside themselves uh, at the, you know, George Bush, the Ayatollah. You know, that's, and I'm thinking of, you know, good grief, you know, I'll show you. <laughs> um, they think that that's, that's radical um, theocracy, you know, that, and that's what they're afraid of. And I, I think they were honestly panicked um, at the general conservatism of the United States, what they thought was a, a settled direction, uh, the resurgence of intelligent design in the academy. Um, you know, here, they've, had, they've had the academy for 150 years. They've been pounding away on evolution, and most Americans don't believe it. And then intelligent design pops up, and bleh, and I think they just panicked. And I think that that's why they were, they were, for many decades, they would pat us on the head in a patronizing way. But this militant atheism, I think, arose largely from a sense of panic at what they thought was the religious right taking over America. Um, at 8.30 tomorrow morning, we'll hear Doug not interrupted 50 times, uh, a sustained sequence of thoughts. So the longer we stay here tonight, the more sleepy you're going to be when he tries to get your attention tomorrow morning. So I'm going to pray and then dismiss us all to hasten home to get some rest. And I think Scott wants to say just one closing word to you when I'm, when I'm done. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I think the most helpful thing that Doug has said to me here is the dual function of apologetics. Uh, one, to help the wobbly saint see the groundlessness of the rants against Christianity and the other being a, a, a personal possibility of breaking in on a man who desperately doesn't want to be persuaded that he's right, maybe, deep down. We do pray for Christopher Hitchens that you would use this interchange and the ongoing relationship to win him to yourself. And now, Lord, give good rest to Doug in particular, who must speak tomorrow morning, and to all of us so that we are alert. Thank you for the good word from Julius and for John Calvin and most of all for Jesus Christ, his gospel and his word. In his name I pray. Amen.